On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we're going to talk about Noah, the flood, and uh, the ark. This is sort of an evidences study. Uh, Skeptics, doubters, critics of the Bible always want to take attacks at certain things in the Bible. And one of the things that's always been attacked is the story of the flood, the global flood in the days of Noah. Uh, And so we're going to talk about that flood tonight. And we're going to talk about the ark that Noah built. And I think there's some really compelling answers, some overwhelming evidence concerning the biblical account of the flood and the reality of it. All right. We're going to talk about that on the virtual Bible study, and we're going to get started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you to the virtual bible study for thursday january 4th 2018 first program of the year welcome to the virtual bible study my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn is here hello dad jacob Glad, good to be with you. Glad to be with you. And uh, Kyle is here to start the new year. Kyle, welcome to the program. That's good to be here. Thank you for being here, and thank you for being on the other end of the line tonight. We look forward to hearing from you on the phone, toll-free at 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com or in the chat room if you're watching us live on the program tonight. Like, let us make a final push for our daily Bible reading Last calendars. Call. Uh, it's not too late to get started on that. If you'll send us your mailing address, your U.S. mailing ad, U.S. Postal Service mailing address, we'll get you one in the mail right away. We'll send you a bumper sticker along with that. We've been getting some requests for that. It's not too late, although the year has started and the reading schedule has begun. Uh, you can catch up pretty quick because yeah. uh, every, every week has a couple of catch-up days in it according to this schedule. Plus, you wouldn't have to wait until your hard copy came in the mail because – We've got that up on, on our homepage at collegeview.com. Okay. Uh, you could go there and, and see the daily assignments until you get a hard copy in the mail. All right. If that's what you want, or you could just go there every day and see what the reading assignments are. We'd rather send you a, a copy though and yeah. a bumper sticker. Yeah. So, so let us know if you want to get that. them in the mail. Does anybody turn you down on the bumper stickers? No, I just want the calendar. No. Oh, no. see, this is free thing. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, okay. And then something else that we want to start uh, promoting is a special series of lessons here at College View the last weekend of this month. I think that is, boy, I I cannot keep track of the dates. It's the 27th and 28th. It's Saturday and Sunday, the 27th and 28th of January. Uh, That's a Saturday and a Sunday. Paul Smithson is going to be here to speak to us. Paul's just a great speaker and just very, uh, it, it, he'll hold your attention. He just has a way of really holding your attention. We've asked him to bring some lessons that will be especially applicable to young people, uh, but not to their parents, their families, to everyone. We're asking all young and old to come. This is not just for young people, but the lessons will be particularly applicable to young people. Uh, and on our homepage at collegeview.com, we have a flyer up about, okay. uh, about that uh, and, yeah. and gives the topics. It sounds really interesting. So we'll be encouraging between now and then uh, sort of advertising 
this special weekend series. It's going to be Saturday at 4 and 7, our regular time Sunday morning, and then 2.30 Sunday afternoon, five lessons from Paul Smithson on the 27th to 28th All of right. January. Yeah, stay tuned for more on that. It's going to be a good service, a good series of you lessons. you got it up there, Jacob. I do. Read the topics. Yeah, it's you can be holy in a digital age, keep your sexual purity, bridle your tongue, have the proper influence, and save others with the gospel. Five powerful lessons there. That's really good. And uh, we would like you to be there. If you need more information, give us a call, send us an email. Uh, We'd look forward to meeting with you there. All right. All right, so let's get into our study about Noah, the flood, and the ark. Um, Earlier today to our update list, we sent out some questions. We just want to walk down through these questions on the course of our program tonight. And we'd be glad to hear from you either by email. We'll watch our email inbox or send us a comment in the chat room. Um, here's the questions we want to cover. Number one, what was the earth like before the flood? I think that's really an important thing to consider. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that. Number two, was the ark really seaworthy? Could a thing like that even float in the water? Well, if it won't float, it won't get the job done. Okay. Yeah. Number three, how could the ark possibly hold all those animals? That's a lot of, that's a lot of animals. <laughs> a lot of animals. Would they all fit? Number four, is it reasonable to think Noah could have built such a huge vessel? I mean, this was enormous. We'll talk about the size of it. And This guy's working with primitive tools. And last I checked, he was pretty old when he got started. Yeah, he was. well, the flood came in his 600th year. So uh, he was was way up there in years when he even started building. Number five, how could Noah have collected all those animals and cared for them on the ark? Okay. Number six, where did all the flood waters come from? And number seven... Where did all the water go? I mean, if it covered the whole earth... Not a lot of places to put it. Where would it run off to? If if the whole earth was covered, where would the water run off to? There wouldn't be any runoff reservoirs to catch it all. So that's kind of an interesting question. We'll talk about that. All right. Uh, We'll look forward to your comments on this uh, important subject on the program tonight. All right, let's start out by talking about what the earth was like before the flood. Again, get in the chat room, send us your comments, uh, um, or send us an email. There's some really interesting hints about the earth before the flood that suggest that the earth's basic physical characteristics were quite a lot different than they are now. All right, how so? uh, Let me read uh, one comment. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 6, there went up a mist from, this is before the fall, this is when God had just created things, it says there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. So, uh, in fact, the the verse just before that is important too. Uh, Verse 5, every plant of the field before it was in the earth and before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. And there was not a man to till the ground, but a, but there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Okay. Um, well, you think about that. That's not normal. That's not normal to us. That's not the, uh, the normal condition of the earth in our day and time. It rains, and there's and we understand the 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 forces that produce rain. Yep. Uh, and and so weathermen can even predict, you know, when's the rain coming? When will it be here? How much will we get? Because they right. know, they've, they've, they've been able to understand the natural science that is behind precipitation. Yep. Well, that apparently was not in the, in the first, in, in, when the earth was new and before the flood, it wasn't raining. 
and there was a mist that watered the earth that came up from the earth, something different. I don't think we have all the answers to that, but that clearly indicates uh, that there was um, something different. And some have suggested that it was sort of like a, a greenhouse effect, that there was like a canopy of waters that enveloped the earth. Go back to chapter 1, Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 6, God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the water, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. So I think we would typically uh, probably use the word atmosphere for firmament. Uh, I think maybe the word literally means there's an an expanse, the the expanse of the heavens or the sky, the atmosphere. But notice that this atmosphere or firmament, or this expanse, there was water above it. Well, there's not any water above our our atmosphere today. There's water. There's water vapor. There there uh, there's moisture content in the air, but there's not a reservoir of water above, above the, the atmosphere. atmosphere. No, you got space up there. Yeah, and so that hint and the fact that it wasn't raining suggests something way different, and uh, it's led people to argue that there was sort of like a water vapor canopy, uh, a reservoir of water that encircled the earth and produced a kind of greenhouse effect all over. In fact, it's interesting that when explorations are done, uh, even in the, in the polar regions of earth, they find evidence of Tropical plants and animals in the in the in the places where they couldn't possibly live under current conditions. Right, and and so the so what what we have, you know you know even if you think about the people who are crying about climate change in our day and time, they say well if we keep polluting the atmosphere, it's gonna it's gonna put a lot of gases in the upper atmosphere, and they're gonna work like a greenhouse. What's it gonna do? It's gonna warm the earth up. Yep. And we think that this greenhouse effect, this natural greenhouse effect that was on the earth before the flood, God had created it that way, and the earth was warm. It was it was tropical from pole to pole. Um, there, the, the earth was much different. Uh, interestingly, uh, you know, after the flood, there was a rainbow in the sky. Yeah. That was something new. There hadn't been a rainbow before. That's right. But if it had been like it is today, rainbows are a naturally occurring phenomenon. Today, there was something different before the flood. Rain, there were no rainbows. That's and that right. would argue that something changed, that that that, that greenhouse that, that existed before didn't exist anymore uh, and uh, allowed the changes that would naturally produce a rainbow. Yeah. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, it says, By faith, Noah, being warned by, of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Something was going to happen that had never been seen before. Now, you could, you could say, and it, I, I couldn't argue against it, you could say, well, yeah, there's going to be a flood, the likes of which has never been seen before or ever since. That's pretty obvious, though. But maybe what hadn't even been seen before on the part of Noah was rain. 
If so, it goes to Noah's character and it helps us to understand what it says about him in Genesis chapter 6, verse, uh, verse 8, that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Certainly, Noah was a faithful man who accepted God's instructions, even though they obviously didn't make a lot of sense to him. I, I tell you, something else that was different before the flood was men were living a long, long time before the flood. Uh, in Genesis chapter 5, we have a genealogy that leads up to Noah. And one of Noah's uh, uh, predecessors was Methuselah. Methuselah lived to be 969 years old. Yeah. Quite amazing. There may have been a lot of reasons for that. I think the gene pool was purer in those times, obviously. But it may also have been that this greenhouse effect protected men from harmful cosmic radiation that we're not protected from today, or at least not to the same extent. Okay. And and so maybe it allowed longer lives. It's interesting when you read through Genesis, men's lives began to shorten pretty dramatically after the flood. Yeah. So just all of those things argue that the earth was quite a lot different before the flood. Now, we're going we're to make some arguments based on that here in a minute. But just understand that those are things that are hinted at and pretty clearly uh, implied. Uh, in the text, something different, a, dif- a different world, it appears, uh, prior to the fr- flood, uh, pre-diluvian, right? Pre-diluvian. All right. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, go ahead and get our break. And when we get back, talk about the ark. Is it seaworthy? Would, the, would, a, would a vessel like would Noah's ark float? even float? All right. We'll get that on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hi, I'm Anthony Petrochko, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. We want to remind you that our website, www.collegeview.com or www.thevirtualbiblestudy.com, has lots of valuable study tools available for your use. First, you can find archives of all our past programs there. We've covered a wide variety of topics, including doctrinal issues, moral and ethical questions, and many things related to living daily as a Christian. And while we don't have a search engine option on our website, Website, remember that you can hit Control F and type in a keyword. You'll then see that keyword highlighted on the page. For instance, if you hit Control F and typed in the word worship, you'd find these past programs that we've conducted. Does it matter how we worship? What about contemporary worship and hand clapping? Our worship pleasing to God or pleasing to man? And instrumental music in worship? That's just an example, but you get the idea as to how the web page can be used to help in your study of various subjects. Also remember that we have copies of our church bulletin on the website, and these bulletins include articles on hundreds of topics. You'll also find some recorded sermons, some Bible tracts, as well as information about the College View Church. So be sure to check out the valuable resources on our website. Again, the address is collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And thanks again for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Be sure to tell others. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Lord, when I'm wrong, make me willing to change. And when I'm right, make me easy to live with. The world belongs to the man who is wise enough to change his mind in the presence of facts. What a pity human beings cannot exchange problems. Everyone seems to know exactly how to solve the other fellows. Sometimes we're so busy adding up our troubles that we forget to count our blessings. Man, wish I'd said that. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. We're back on the program tonight talking about Noah, the flood, and the ark, and answering the skeptics who say, eh, no way. You know, it does seem like a pretty phenomenal story, and 
Looks like a story you'd want to target if you wanted to discredit the Bible, and uh, lots of uh, attempts have been made, but uh, they fall short. But it holds up. The story yeah. holds up. Yeah. I think we're going to see that as we continue to talk about this. Yeah. Uh, I believe that the, the story holds up real well. Let's talk about the ark itself, and was it seaworthy? Um, you know, the, what's really amazing is that the ark was the largest vessel ever constructed or built until sometime within this last century. Oh, wow. Sometime in the, uh, within the last hundred years, men have attempted and succeeded in making a, a, a vessel larger than the ark. The big super tankers that go across the oceans carrying oil are larger now than Noah's ark was, at least in capacity. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about Noah building that thing. What an incredible job. Uh, look in Genesis chapter 6. Get the dimensions on that thing. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 15 this is the fashion which thou shalt make it, the ark of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. And then it goes on to say, A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it uh, above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower second, third story shalt thou make it. A cubit, I think probably almost all, if not all of our listeners would would remember this, the conversion factor we use for a cubit. It, uh, supposedly a cubit was the measure from a man's elbow to the tip of his fingers. And and it's usually estimated that on an average size man, 18 inches, a foot and a half. So if it was 300 cubits long, it was 450 feet long. That's a football field and a half. And a half. A football field and a half long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall. Now, what you got there then are some proportional dimensions. And it's interesting that you, well, it's not just interesting, it's provable. Scientifically, you can prove whether or not that is a stable design. And the fact of the matter is it's very stable. You can, you can, you can build a scale model as big as you want. Uh, and then you can put it, in water and test it to see how well it stabilizes and that that those particular proportional dimensions will 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 write itself at almost a 90 90 degree tilt it will it will write itself back up in other words it's a very stable design talked a minute ago about the super tankers on the oceans they're built to those same proportional uh, measurements mm-hmm. And so it is It is provably very, very stable. Kind of an interesting question is, how would Noah have known that? And how would how would the Bible writers known to put... No, somebody said, ah, oh, somebody made that story up a long time ago. How, how did they know to make it to those dimensions? And right. we have to believe God inspired that knowledge. Certainly. And uh, Noah, doesn't, I mean, it doesn't appear that he was somewhere where he would have had an opportunity to test that or... Had any, you know, he wasn't a seaman apparently. So, yeah. uh, how did he know that that'd be the right dimensions to make a boat? Yeah. All right. All right. So, we got a, a world that's different. We got an ark that's enormous, but built to good proportional dimensions. So let's go to the third question: Could that ark, as big as it was, could it possibly have held all of those uh, animals? Yeah. Now. Uh, I think there's. I think it's kind of interesting, and and I didn't come up with this, but this has been argued this way. How many animals would we need to put in there? Well, 
taxidermists tell us that there are perhaps 50,000 species of animals that needed protection from the flood. So 50,000 species would mean about 100,000 animals. 100,000. We were talking about this before the program, Jacob. There were two of every kind. Right. At least two of every kind. There were seven of clean animals. So if there are 50,000 species of animals that needed protection, uh, then there would be 100,000 animals that needed to be on the ark. That's that's pretty big. Uh, you can read a lot about this. Some people say all that needed to be protected were certain families of animals that then would have sort of... Uh, devolved into different subspecies over over the time since the flood. I, I don't know. I'm, I, I don't know how, how to argue that. But if you take a uh, uh, a number like a hundred thousand animals, just just go with that. So uh, could you put a hundred thousand? That's a lot, man. man have you seen the the T Rex? Is huge. How could you get a elephant? Hundred thousand elephants? Yeah, but those are those are at the upper limits of size. Oh, right. A lot of animals are really tiny. Right. You know, think about a field mouse. He's just that big, you know. Lizard. A lizard, so forth. I'm not thinking uh, my wife would want to get on that boat. Uh, so here's what here's what the people who an- have analyzed this say. There are not a lot of really large animals, but be liberal and say that the, the, all the animals average, the average size of all those 100,000 animals was about the size of a sheep. Okay, that's a the good, average a good size. size dog. Okay, you know, say say that the animals average the size of a sheep or a good sized dog. That makes sense. You got squirrels, you got little things. Yeah. Okay, so the ark's volumetric capacity was one million five hundred eighteen thousand seven hundred fifty cubic feet. We can calculate that, right? I guess you can. Yeah. Okay, a million five hundred is a little over a, a one and a half million. Cubic feet of volume in the ark. Right. A standard railroad stock car is 2,670 feet. Mm, wow. So the ark had the capacity of 569 railroad stock cars. Wow. Okay. Five, now, 240 sheep can be hauled in one railroad stock car. This is almost like a story problem in math. I know. It's starting to hurt my head. <laughs> 240 sheep can be hauled in one railroad stock car. Thus, it would have required 418 such stock cars to carry all the animals that were on the ark, meaning about 73% of the ark's capacity, given those assumptions, 73% of its capacity would be required for the animals, leaving another 27%. So about three-fourths of the space would have been taken up by animals, leaving about a fourth of the space for food and other necessities on the ark. So when you break it down that way, then the answer to the question, could all those animals possibly have fit on the ark? The answer is apparently yes. Yeah. Now, of course, the Bible obviously says yes. Uh, but even from just you know do, doing a little mathematical calculating, right. the answer is yes. Plus... You know, I, uh, Noah has to take two elephants on the ark. Nobody said they had to be full-grown elephants. They could have been, they could have been, you know, baby elephants. Baby elephants. That makes sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, lots, lots of room there for for uh, uh, explaining 
that it is certainly possible that Noah could have gotten all those animals on the ark. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. But certainly it is looking feasible that this could have happened. The ark would have been seaworthy. It would have held the animals. Now, uh, the follow-up to that question is, how could Noah have cared for those animals while on the ark? Uh, how could he could he have uh, collected them, and how could he have cared for them uh, while they were on the ark? Well, as for collecting, God could have used... I mean, we're talking about God, right? right. So God has all kinds of limitless, limitless power. So, but God could have even done some natural things. He could have used the instinctive abilities of animals to sense danger. Uh, he could have used migratory patterns and so forth to help in the gathering process. But certainly miraculous intervention is not out of the question. Yeah, sure. Uh, I would assume a lot of miraculous things going to happen here. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, if the story is true, it's not it's not too much of a stretch to believe that Noah could have gotten to the animals, or the animals could have come to him, which I think is probably more more likely uh, that that through some intervention of God, the animals. I mean, I don't think he had to go on hunting safaris to find <laughs> a mating pair of every tranquilizer kind of darts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, plus, you know. Uh, some animals are typically not compatible with one another. However, I think that was probably different before and after the flood as well. But uh, I think clearly there's a hint of God's intervention in bringing the animals together for Noah to put them on the ark. Yeah. Uh, what about caring for the animals? I'm going to tell you, that many animals, 100,000 animals, there are going to be a lot of animals to feed and to water. Mm-hmm. going to take a lot of feed because Noah's going to be on the ark for over a year. Wow. So it's going to take a lot of food, a lot of water, and so forth. I, I suppose well, water probably wouldn't be a problem. Could, you could throw a bucket out <laughs> yeah, the window yeah, we and, got that covered. And, and, and get water. But for the food, um, we know that danger changes animal behavior. We've actually seen, you know, sometimes you see when there's there's big wildfires in certain areas, you, you see animals that typically don't. Uh, um, compatible with one another, become compatible under extreme danger circumstances. Uh, and so uh, that may have been in effect. Right. Some of the animals may have hibernated. God may have put some of the animals in hibernative states, possibly. And again, God could have miraculously intervened. So when it comes to the the gathering of the animals and the caring for them, uh don't forget we've got God in this picture. We don't have to have a naturalistic explanation for everything. Right. But even there are some naturalistic things that could have contributed to the collecting and caring for the animals. All right. Let's hear your thoughts. Um, it certainly is uh, plausible. We certainly have not found any reason why the story could not be true. Yeah. Uh, so we're sort of just putting together the piece of the puzzle. We got a, a, a an Earth different. Keep remembering this because we're gonna we're gonna come to this uh, in just a minute. But we got an Earth that's different back then than it is now. We've got God instructing Noah to build an ark that we know would have floated and and been able to survive whatever it encountered by right. way of turbulence right. or anything else. We've got the gathering and caring for the animals. 
more than likely, my guess is it required God's intervention, miraculous intervention in regards to those things, but not out of the question. So everything's fitting so far. All right, we're going to get a break and get this week's bullet point. When we get back, we'll continue the discussion. We need to talk about uh, Noah building that boat for crying out loud. That's a huge boat. How did he do it? Uh, we'll talk about that on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study drifts along right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. I am resolved no longer to linger. So say the words of the familiar song. It's an important concept and particularly applicable at this time of the year. Consider some folks that should take the message to heart. First, those who are not yet Christians. If you have never named the name of the Lord Jesus, if you have not yet submitted to his will, if you have yet to obey the simple plan of salvation, you should linger no longer. Please realize that your sins have not been forgiven. You are outside the fold of safety. You are in jeopardy of being lost eternally. Make the important decision to obey now. Acts 22 verse 16 says, And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Other folks who should not linger are those who are not faithful in the Lord's service. There are too many who once began to serve the Lord, but have since fallen back into unfaithfulness. If you are one of these, we humbly beg you to consider the seriousness of your situation. You know that you should fulfill the commitment you first made to Him. The danger of dying in your present condition is too great. Don't wait. Second Peter 2, beginning verse 20 says, The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than, after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, The dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. And finally, even those who continue to work faithfully in the kingdom need to spend some time in careful self-examination. Is there more you can do? Something you can improve? Things that can be made better? Don't linger. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5 says, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. So, what better time than now? Resolve to linger no longer. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's Word taught every Thursday night. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight. This program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Our website is thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We're meeting in Columbia, Tennessee. You can find out where and when at that website. Or if you need more information, give us a call or send us an email. We want to hear from you. Uh, let us know how we can help. Talking about Noah and the flood and the ark that he built, a massive boat, a football field and a half, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, an amazing structure in and of itself. I imagine a lot of our listeners are are aware that a, a, a group up in the Cincinnati area, northern Kentucky, actually, have constructed a full-scale replica of Noah's ark based upon the specifications given here in Genesis. I, I think they obviously had to fill in some blanks because, I mean, there's not a blueprint in Genesis, but there's enough information that they've built a vessel of that exact size. And I've known some people, we've got some members here at College View who've made the trip up there to see that. I'd love to see that. But they say it is very impressive and over it just sort of knocks your socks off when you see the size of the thing. All right, so then we have to ask the question, how did he do it? Because... This is one man, and an old man at that, to build a uh, structure that big. And I dare say they didn't have a home and carried gopher wood around the corner. Yeah. 
So how yeah. did he do that? Yeah. So, again, skeptics would argue that it would be impossible for Noah and his three sons, so four guys, it would be impossible for them to build that ark. But a couple things to consider. Um, first of all, even if there were only four men working on it, but one of the questions has to be, where does it say that Noah couldn't have hired laborers? That's right. I mean, they just because they thought he was... You know, uh, had lost his mind. Didn't mean they wouldn't work for pay. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no, there's nothing that, that says that it was just Noah and his three sons working yeah. on the ark. He could have hired laborers. Yeah. But even if it was just those four, think about this. We know that he had some time on his hands to build it. It appears. Yeah. Look at Genesis chapter six, verse three. The Lord said, "My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is he also is flesh." Yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Now, the way that is understood is God made a determination that he was going to send this judgment upon the wicked men of the world. But it seems he said, I'm going to do it in a hundred twenty years. So uh, that hundred twenty years w- would serve as a base for... Uh, a base of time for Noah to construct the ark. Now, remember, we said that it was an enormous vessel and a huge task, and Noah would have been working without all the kind of modern machinery and equipment and mechanical advantages that we've invented since that time. He didn't have any hydraulic jacks or cranes or boom. I imagine it. He, men, men are pretty inventive. I imagine he figured out a boom arm and, and how to s- swing some timbers around uh, on ropes. But he didn't have a, a, a crane with a, you know, a diesel power plant, and he, and he didn't have chainsaws, and he didn't have all, you know, all the modern equipment that we would employ, that these people in northern Kentucky have employed in the building of their ark. So, you know, it probably took 120 years. I think there's some other factors as to why that 120 years uh, uh, were there, too, because I think in Second Peter chapter 3, First uh, Peter 3.20, it, it suggests that God was waiting in the it, days of Noah. It's, it's illustrating his patience. His long-suffering. Who formerly were disobedient when the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared which few that is eight souls were saved through water. Yeah. So uh, God's long suffering nature. Yeah. So it, what obviously, I mean, it, it lends credence to this idea that it would, what it would have been 120 years because if it was, you know, we're going to, we're giving six months to build it and then we're going to destroy where that's not really, wouldn't really illustrate a lot of long suffering on God's part. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if he had 120 years, here's, here's how you break that down using a little math. It's estimated that the ark contained 380,000 cubic feet of wood. Did you know you needed to bring your calculator tonight, Kyle? <laughs> I didn't get I'm sorry, the, he's already I'm, slipped this one in on us here. Right. I didn't, I didn't sign in for all of this here. Get this. It, it, the ark estimated that a vessel, that's again, this okay. is just simple math. You can yep. figure out how much okay. wood would it take all to right. build a vessel that big. All right. 380,000 cubic feet of wood. If these guys could cut gather, hew, and construct 15 cubic feet per day. And that doesn't seem to be an unreasonable task. 15 cubic feet. They could have completed the job in just 81 years working six days a week. 
So they had more than enough time to build it and, and not on a daily, if you break it down to how much they have to do, how much percentage of the work they had to turn out every day. They had they had enough time to get it done. They probably would have called in sick a few times in that eighty-one years, you'd think. But still, but they had one hundred twenty, and they the, could have done it slightly over eighty. So there's plenty of time for them to build that vessel. All right. So again, this is sort of the story. The story passes that hurdle. Uh, could it could it be done? Could the job be done? Yeah, we think it could have been done. Okay. So we've talked about the earth before the flood. The ark was seaworthy. The ark. Could hold the animals. Noah could have cared uh, for them, uh, collected and cared for them. And we think it's reasonable that he could have built this vessel uh, that we've been describing. Oh, the story works. I mean, the skeptics love to jump on this story and attack it and act as though it's just completely unreasonable to believe it. But the storyline works. I just your thoughts. Uh, anything you want to share in the chat room tonight or on the phone? Uh, is the story plausible? Does do the doubters and the skeptics have an opportunity to cast doubt on the uh, validity of this story? And and if so, cast a doubt on the validity of the entire Bible when one fell swoop? Is it possible? Or do we have a whole, do we have a gap here? All right. So the next question we want to talk about is where did all this flood water come from anyway? Where did all the floodwaters come from? Mm-hmm. All right. So let's go to Genesis 7, verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were open, and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Well, when we usually teach this story, especially when we talk about to the little children, we ask them, you know, how long did it rain in the days of Noah? Forty days and forty nights. Yeah, but forty days and forty nights worth of rain, even at that, would not be enough to flood the whole earth. Yeah, uh, there's got to be some more water because because the water that amount of water, if it's raining, if it's well, wait a minute, it hadn't rained before. Something's changed, right? Yeah, something's changing, and it's raining. It hadn't rained before, apparently. But if even if it's just rainwater, rain comes from water that's already here. It goes into the to the sky. It precipitates out. It runs off. It evaporates back. That wouldn't flood the whole earth with the water that's already here on the surface of the earth. Right. Right. You, you would never get there. Right. I mean, you could, it could rain forever, and it would never flood the whole earth because it would go, it would evaporate, precipitate, run off. Evaporate, precipitate, run off. You would never get there. You would never get the whole earth covered with water. Right, right. All right. So there's got to be some other sources of water. Okay. Well, that 11th verse, Genesis 7, verse 11, is the answer to where the water came from. It says the the fountains of the great deep were broken up. All right. So that tells us that there was massive amounts of subterranean water that was spewed out. In other words, it was underground, but it came out in the flood. It, uh, they were broken up. The fountains were broken up. Actually, that's a really key expression in this whole storyline because that suggests that there were some really violent geological events taking place. The earth, it wasn't just being flooded. It was being literally crunched or torn apart by by. Uh, different phenomenon there it was a catastrophic 
geological event taking place. The, the, these subterranean sources of water were being spewed out. The, the earth, the, the crust of the earth was being wrenched. Uh, and so it was more than just a rainstorm. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was a, it was a violent, dramatic geological event that was taking place. That's why we're going to suggest that the earth was a whole lot different after the flood than it was before. So the, the fountains of the great deep were broken up, but notice it also says the windows of heaven were opened. Yeah. And then it says it rained, but this windows of heaven opened is a suggestion that that water vapor canopy that we had described earlier, the waters that were above the firmament, as Genesis 1 says, God caused them to come crashing down. All that water that had been uh, encircling the earth, keeping it in a sort of a greenhouse kind of condition, all that water now comes down, lots of water. So you got water from beneath the surface of the earth coming up. you got this water vapor canopy around the earth collapsing, you got a lot of water. And so it wasn't just a rainstorm. There were other things going on. But I really think it's key for us to emphasize this fountains of the great deep being broken up, violent geological activity going on in the course of, of the flood. All right. We had an email. Anthony, who's been in the chat room, uh, Anthony sent in an email uh, about that. He he ran into somebody, Jacob, that that was skeptical. Yeah, so he threw this in. He said, I'm throwing a curveball rather than answering the questions. Another thing I've uh, seen skeptics throw at the wall in hopes it will stick is the accusation that there's no way the ark could have stayed afloat while that much rain fell. While I was in, When I was in college, there was a book or article that was circulated via campus-wide email basically claiming this and laughing at anyone foolish enough to believe in the biblical account. The very simple and obvious omission on the skeptics on this skeptic's part is that the rain was not the only source of the floodwaters. Even a cursory reading of the account reveals that the fountains of the deep were opened in addition to rain from the sky. So unfortunately for the skeptic, we don't have to worry about the ark being able to withstand enough rain to flood the entire earth. Debunked, he says. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's good. Uh, things are going on here that are not... Uh, uh, uniform to n- the regular way things happen. You know, un- how do you, I don't know if I can say uniform idea that yeah. the natural processes are always the same, always have been the same, never have been any different. That's an assumption that's not proved and an assumption that the Bible pretty well debunks yeah. that things aren't uh, the way the natural system and the way nat- things naturally happen. Uh, there's, there's, this was a catastrophic event in, uh, on planet Earth. All right. So, uh, and so, uh, you know, this was, by the way, this was much more than just a, a serious local flood. You yeah. Know, we, we've seen, but this one, notice in Genesis uh, chapter 7, verse 19, the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered 15 cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. And so 15 cubits is what? Over 20 feet. Uh, yeah. more than tw- The highest hills were covered by more than 20 feet of water. Now, uh, I think we're up to our last break, but i got a question for you. Does that mean that Mount Everest was covered, the peak of Mount Everest was covered by more than 20 feet of water? Mm. You know how tall Mount Everest is? 
It's pretty tall, 28,000? 20, over 20, just over 29,000 29, feet tall. Yeah. By the way, I was reading in, in the news this week, uh, Nepal, the country of Nepal mm-hmm. that, that controls Everest, has now said you can't climb it by yourself as a, as a solo climber. You can't go. You, you've got to have, you got to have people with you. And that has really got people torn up. I, I, you were planning on trying yeah, it? It hadn't got me too torn up because I wasn't thinking about going up there and certainly not going by myself. But 29,000 feet, that's, that's higher than a lot of airplanes. Uh, a lot of passenger jets fly. I mean, a lot of passenger jets on different flight routes, sometimes they get to 30,000 feet or slightly over, but not very often. That is way up there. Are you, are you telling me that the floodwaters were at least 20 feet higher than the peak of Mount Everest? What about that? Guest 5118 is signed in the chat room, has come through with some information for us. Thank you, 5118. 37.5 million billion gallons of water. That's a lot of zeros behind that, 37.5. That's enough. This is enough water to cover the entire surface of the earth with one inch of water. Well, didn't know that. Well, one inch is not going to get the job done. Well, that's true. It's not. But as and that's you... what we were saying earlier. There had to be some other source of water other than what is naturally today in our atmosphere that, that evaporates into the atmosphere oh. and precipitates out. But this goes to our question we're going to get to on the other side of the break. Where'd the water go? Because yeah. it, it's obviously not up in the atmosphere anymore because that only gets, you ri- gets rid of one inch. Yeah. I've still got, uh, well, at least... 27, 28 feet of water on the highest peak, not to mention the valleys that i got to get rid of. Where is it going to go? We'll get that on the other side of the break, and, uh, well, we'll finish up the discussion. Don't go anywhere. The survival study continues right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. I'm Larry Raspberry, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a question for you. Do you believe in parachutes? I suppose you do. You believe they exist? But that's not what I mean. There's a difference between believing something or someone exists and putting your confidence in it or him. One who has seen a parachute knows they exist, but has never put his confidence in one. Trying one on while standing on the ground isn't faith either. Going up in a plane intending to jump out with a parachute on is not faith in the parachute either. Opening the door at the moment of truth and gazing outside to the ground is not faith either. It is only when one jumps out the door, counts to ten, and pulls the ripcord that he has actually put his faith in the parachute. Many of you believe parachutes exist, but only a few have actually put your faith in one. Many people in the world say they believe God exists, but only a few put their faith in Him for salvation by doing what He says. We'd love to help you in developing a saving faith in God. If we can be of assistance, please contact us. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com or call us at 877-381-4567. And thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. Do you have a New Year's resolution? Well, if you're like most Americans, 88% of them in a recent poll, you have at least one resolution. But on average, only about 20% of us keep our New Year's resolutions. That information is via the lowfamilynewyear.com. 
The word of God says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the program, talking and going to the top of the hour, talking about Noah, the flood, and the ark, and uh, answering the skeptic who says, uh, fat chance, no way it could happen. Well, we're showing that it could on the program tonight. Okay, so we got the water here. We know where it came from. Where did it go? So if all the hills are covered, in other words, the whole surface of the earth now is water. If you if you had a snapshot of it in that moment, it's a you could see nothing but water. Yeah. Anywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere. Well, that being the case, there's no place for it to run off to. That's true. Water goes downhill, but when there it's are all no hills. it's all covered up, well, all the hills are underwater. Yeah. So. Something, again, has got to be different. Something's now, we can get rid change. of an inch of it in the atmosphere. Okay. That's an inch of it, but we've still got a lot we of inches lot of to go. Here. All right, so here's here's the answer. Go back to that statement in Genesis 7, verse 11, when it says, All the fountains of the great deep were broken up. We said, Remember we said earlier, this violent geological activity is taking place. Uh, the, the Earth's mantle, its crust, the tectonic plates, if you will, are all being shoved around. Yeah. And what must surely have happened is that these huge mountain ranges in the course of all this are now being pushed up. And the great ocean basins are sinking in because mm-hmm. all that subterranean water is gone now. Yeah. So so the ocean basins collapse. The great mountain ranges are shoved. Everest wasn't there before the flood. Uh it came about during the course of the flood, the, the huge Himalayan range, the, the, the great Rocky Mountains in the western United States. All the, all the mountain ranges were shoved up and the deep ocean basins were carved out while all this violent geological activity was taking place during the flood, giving a place for the water to run off of the high ground and run to the oceans. Um, Remember that the earth is still covered by a lot of water. That's true. More than two-thirds of the earth's surface is covered with water, so, even today. So we only had to get rid of one-third of all that water. Yeah. Or get, and, and there are places in the ocean basins that are miles and miles deep of yeah. water. Yeah. And so when all the, when all of this was taking place, the mountains were being shoved up, the ocean basins were collapsing, and uh and the big the the, the 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 ocean depths were being established. It gave a place for the water. The answer to the question, where did the water go, is it's still here. It hadn't gone anywhere. It's still here. It's just in different places because the uh, because they God caused uh, it to be so that the water could run off. Now I hear a lot about the ice caps melting and the flooding that would result from that. Um, what about that? Does the water go well, up there? Well, remember. This greenhouse effect that we've been talking about is gone now. Yeah. All right? So that causes the polar regions of the planet now to get cold really fast because it doesn't have this greenhouse effect keeping it warm. And so that caused that, that a lot of ice forms in the polar caps. You know, these glo- these global warming uh, alarmists tell us, oh, boy, if, if, the, if the polar regions melt... It's going to raise sea levels and low-lying lands are going to flood. Well, but the fact of the matter is uh, that's where some of this water from the flood went. By the way, 
my friend and Jim in Michigan has pointed out to me, if all of the Arctic, North Pole, uh, melted, it wouldn't raise the sea levels because that's all ice floating on water anyway. There's no land underneath it. Now, Antarctica is different because there's land under the snow and ice in Antarctica, but all of it that's in the northern polar regions is ice floating on water so you could melt it all and it wouldn't raise the the the, the sea levels have you ever Boy, the science is deep on this program tonight well the think about it you got a glass of water with ice cubes in it when the ice cubes melt does the water overflow the glass no it doesn't it doesn't it's a density thing yeah all right um okay so uh we got to an idea of where the water goes um so have so, we come across anything tonight that says no, it couldn't happen? I, I think we've put together all the pieces of the puzzle. And really, I, to me, it's 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 a faith-building kind of a thing to to go back to that old, old Bible story. That's one of the early Bible stories, right? We've got Adam and Eve, and then pretty much the next thing that happens is Noah and the flood. Uh, and, you know, people say, oh, I don't know about that. That sounds like a fairy tale to me. Sounds sound like somebody dreamed that. No, it works. It actually works and scientifically is is a reasonable explanation. Any lessons we learned from the flood as we close up the program tonight? Well, the 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 great well, I think there's lots to learn. So I, I I do think it's a it's a matter of evidence. Is there there's evidence for our faith there. But if you go back to we we are called upon by God to learn a lesson from Noah. In in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Noah was a man of faith. But what did he do? He His faith caused him to prepare an ark. And we talked about what an enormous job that was. Yeah, certainly uh, You know, he didn't say, God, that's too much to ask. God, you don't know what you're asking. Seems unreasonable to, to ask me no. to do that much work. No, certainly. I, I must have misunderstood the command. But God wouldn't expect that from me. Yeah. No, that, he didn't provide that. So certainly a, an example for us there. I think we need to note his example of faithfulness in a wicked world. You think you got it bad today? I mean, America's a bad place. The world's a wicked place. But I guarantee you there's more than eight people that are trying to be pleasing to God today. And Noah was Noah and his family were the only ones. Yeah. And uh, yet he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I think that's exactly right. And, and another great lesson is that, that God is a God of justice. He's a long-suffering God. We talked about the fact that he likely waited 120 years after he determined he was going to send this judgment. He waited 120 years, hoping, giving a chance for men to repent. But when when the time was up, he sent this judgment. A lot of people have the idea that God is just such a loving God that he could never punish anyone. And anybody who ever thought that has never really seriously considered the story of Noah. In Genesis chapter 7, it says, verse 21, all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beasts and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, all that was in the dry land died. So, uh, God too loving to ever send a judgment and a punishment? The story of Noah says that's that's a bad thing to think. You're thinking wrong if you think God will never punish evil. Oh, that's right. All right. So excellent lessons to learn. Uh, I think we can learn a lot about the, the kind of leader that he was of his family in that wicked world. 
he he had a family that was faithful to God, uh, and uh, he saved his family uh, from that punishment. Uh, certainly uh, an exhortation to us, especially to us fathers, in, in uh, leading our families and protecting them from the wickedness that's around us. Yeah. Um, could it ever happen again? At the end of the flood, you know, one of the things that's interesting, uh, Noah took those animals on the ark, and one of the first things he did when he came off the ark in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Oh, come on now. There's only a few animals. You're surely not going to sacrifice them. That's how important sacrifice and serving God is. Certainly. And it goes on. The Lord smelled a sweet savor and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night not cease. Uh, so uh, the, the answer is no. That God, God has promised that he's not going to repeat that. And he, he established a, a covenant uh, in regards to that. And in chapter 9, verse 20 this will be the covenant of the to- uh, this will be the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generation. I do set my bow in the in the cloud, and it shall be a token of a covenant between me and the earth. When we see the rainbow, even today, when we see the rainbow, it's a uh, an indication of God's promise after the flood. Noah was an incredible man, and a phrase in Genesis chapter six, verse nine. Uh, it describes Noah and the way that he lived. Noah walked with God. That was also said about his great-great-grandfather, I believe it was, Enoch, walked with God in a wicked world where everyone in it uh, was going to be punished for their sins. Noah was a righteous man who walked with God, and the encouragement for us is to do the same. To walk with God every day of our lives. Real quickly, we got a comment on Facebook from Evelyn. She said, all things are possible with the one and only higher power. There you go. Yeah. Don't have to have a natural explanation for everything. Yeah. Uh, but we can certainly uh, look at uh, ways to answer the, the doubter and the skeptic who may say, ah, no way it could happen. Certainly we see it is possible. And as Evelyn has said, all things are possible with yeah. God. Yeah. All right. Uh, Kyle, thanks for being here tonight. Uh, any comments from you tonight? It was a good program. I think it's just a really it's a study and perseverance and, uh, well, casting away the world. And Noah was very focused on his service to God. And I think that's a really it's a good example. Noah's for us. a great hero of the faith. He sure is. Yeah. All right. Dad, uh, thanks for a good discussion. Tonight. Thanks, Jacob. And, uh, well, I can't thank you for all hurting me out with my head there with all those math and science facts tonight. But uh, you know, we could write we could write some some math story problems. Oh boy, let's get out of here. Okay. Uh, we appreciate you being here. I hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College 
Westview Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.